Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. You guys hear me okay? I don't know how much longer my voice is going to hold out, so I'm just going to get right to it. I hope that's all right with you. Aren't you guys so grateful for our praise team? Yeah. And we're really, really blessed to have the folks we have leading us in worship Sunday after Sunday. I want to resume our series on the Gospel of John. And... uh, title of the message, interestingly enough, this week is Jesus, Our Healer. And all week, as I prepared this message, I've been wrestling with sickness that's getting worse. And uh, I'm not sure even what I have. I just know it feels like I've been gargling glass shards all week. My throat is very raw. So um, thank you for those of you who have been just praying faithfully. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for it. And it's interesting to be in that state of physical condition while I'm writing a message about healing, it's put me in a very tender state of heart for those who bear physical suffering. And I was still thinking about Tommy Lee's testimony last Sunday about his struggle with cancer. I don't know why the the part that stuck with so many people was losing your taste buds. So many people mentioned this week to me, can you imagine losing your taste buds? Like that was worse than anything else. And uh, I just see Tommy's heart and attitude as he, uh, <coughs> as, as he gets through that fight with cancer. And I think, you know, even in the darkest of times, there's a God who takes care of us. There's a God who's worthy even when nothing's going our way. I want to look together at John chapter 4. We'll start with verse 43, and we'll read all the way through 517. After the two days, he left for Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. And when he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Oops. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who is close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. 
So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. By the way, I, I know it's against the rules, but if there is a bottle of water, Jesus has assured me he'll forgive us for drinking water in here. All right. Thank you. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by fire, five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Thank you. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. (coughs) And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who was made, (coughs) the man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. It's the word of God. What we just read together is the record of two healings, two supernatural, unscientific healings. By unscientific meaning, you cannot explain what happened to these two men by looking at medical science alone. There was a divine intersection of God's hand into the human world, and something happened. And in both these stories, what we see are some insights about who we are, what reality is, and what Jesus is like that I think is important for us to know because some of us today really need to remember these things about him. I want to jump in and out of both healings, and I want to make three observations this morning. And the first is that God can use suffering to draw us to himself. (coughs) If you get anything out of the sermon, it will be all God. I'm sorry that it's so distracting to listen to me like this. But when we are struggling with something, it so often leads us to God. You know, I think God uses a lot of means to pull us towards himself. But one of the hardest things God uses to do that is suffering. And though suffering comes in many forms, one of the most challenging kinds of suffering 
is physical medical suffering. Thank you. I think few things hit us as deeply as the news or the experience that we are sick, and we're sick beyond our ability to just get better on our own willpower. Suffering can either drive us towards God or away from God. And here's the truth. Our response to suffering is probably the truest statement about where we are spiritually that we can find. For a lot of people, suffering causes their hearts to turn cold and upset with God because they reason, you're in charge, this is on you, why aren't you showing up? And for others, knowing the world in which we live and who God is and who we are, they acknowledge that God in heaven does not have to answer to us. And even as they suffer, they realize the only hope they have is God, and they continue to turn to God. See, in the first healing, we come upon a royal official. (coughs) We don't know his exact office, but what we do know is he was a member of either the royal court or the royal administration. And as such, he likely had a lot of money and a lot of pull. When I watched Carson Wentz play last Sunday, and I realized this man had torn his ACL and his LCL, was out for nine and a half months, and when I saw him come back and compete at the NFL level, and you, you may have very different opinions about his performance, but I'm amazed that you can come back from an injury like that and compete at that level. Even 100% healthy, none of us in this room could last five seconds on that field. And this man comes back. And what I realized further was Carson Wentz does not have my health insurance. Carson Wentz has the full weight of the Philadelphia Eagles behind him. He has access to resources I cannot imagine. There was no expense spared. He had 24-7 care, attention, training, rehab, the best surgeons, the best everything. And I realized when you have that much Uh, that many resources, it is a huge advantage medically to have access to those kinds of things. But what this man came to see was that at, at some point, all of the power that we have is not enough to bear the burdens that life will throw at us and that God will sometimes allow. I mean, anybody who's a parent knows how helpless it feels to have a child who's sick. But a few of us know how unimaginable the the terror and the pain is when you have a child who's close to death. Some of us know exactly what that feels like. We would not wish it upon anyone. It's a horribly helpless and terrifying feeling. And while this man had a lot of money and a lot of influence, he encountered a situation in his life where his power and resources were not enough to bail him out. Now, here's the thing about power and resources. They will get you very far in life. 90% of the time, it will make your life more comfortable and easier, more convenient than most other people. But because God loves us, he will often permit that something will happen to us in our lives that money cannot bail you out of. And maybe it's not money, but whatever it is that is your form of power, that thing which you use all the time to get out of jams, you know, you know what I'm talking about? For some people, 
their looks have gotten them out of so much trouble. You're so mad at them, they just go, and you're like, ah, oh, geez, I can't be mad at something that beautiful. And, and so their looks, their beauty is their go-to thing. For others, it's their intelligence, their giftedness with words, their athletic ability, their strength, their intelligence, whatever it may be, there is some form of personal power which you consistently refer to to get yourself out of trouble. It's your main coping mechanism with the trials of life. And because God cares about you, there will come a point at which all that power will not be enough to get you out of the trouble that you're in. I'm not suggesting that this happens to everybody, but it happens to a lot of us. Maybe we would even argue it happens to most of us. See, what Jesus saw in this man was that he had come to him because though he was powerful, he was powerless. Do you understand that? He was powerful, but that power which he had wasn't enough, and it made him feel the truth of the situation. He had no real power. You know, I heard that being good-looking and tall confers a huge competitive advantage in the corporate world. But at some point, it won't matter how tall and how hot you are. When the economy is tanking, you will probably lose your job with everybody else. And I think it's important for us to recognize that when we hit those situations where our personal power is insufficient, we have a choice to make. And the choice Jesus invites us to make is the same choice he invited this man to make. Come to me and trust. In the second healing, we come upon a pool where Jesus was in Galilee with the royal official. Now he's back in Jerusalem to the south. And he's at this pool where every now and then the waters would get stirred, (coughs) ostensibly by an angel who comes down and stirs the water, And I guess the tradition was the first person who jumped in the pool when the water stirred would get healing from whatever was ailing them. That's quite a hot tub. And they would jump in, but this man had been lame and disabled for 38 years. For most of his life, this is all he'd known, was being utterly dependent on others and living at the lowest level of society. He couldn't understand why this was his lot in life. Have you ever asked that question about your own life? What did I do to end up like this? I mean, other people wake up in the morning into this wonderful life. Everything goes great for them. How did I end up in this place where my life is always so hard? And for all his life, this had been his experience. While the royal officials suffering was sudden and very sharp. His son got very sick and it drew him to Jesus. This man had lived with his suffering for so long that it had become his new normal. (coughs) Some of us know exactly what that feels like. You've lived with a condition or a weakness or a difficult situation for so long and it has never changed no matter how often you've cried out for help And when that happens, two things result, at least two things. One is you start to feel really isolated and alone in your situation. 
And the other is that hope starts to fade. I mean, when you're dealing with anything difficult for 38 years, I don't know if I could last 38 years. I've pondered this all week. Lord, would I have the faith to hang on if that was my lot in life for nearly 40 years of my earthly existence? Whether it's through sharp suffering or chronic suffering, what I find remarkable is that these two men find themselves in the presence of Jesus primarily because their pain got his attention and drew them to him. And I share that as my first observation <coughs> because for most of us, when suffering visits us, our first thought is, this is a problem. i got to get out of it. I need this suffering to end. And I think Jesus does care about our suffering, and he agrees with us. I don't want you to sit in it forever. But before we jump to the conclusion that God's first purpose for suffering is to get us out of it, I think we have to recognize this. Very often God uses our suffering to show us some really important things about us and our faith and our standing with him that are not revealed in the good times. Can we be honest together for a second? How many of you sit around pondering deep questions when life is good? How many of you ask the universe, why? What is the purpose? We don't ask those things when life is good. We're just enjoying it. We seem to ask those questions mostly when everything is falling apart. And we're really confused and we don't understand and we feel victimized. Then we start to ask the real questions. What is this? Why do we even get born? If this is what human life is, what's the point of it anyway? And I think sometimes God allows suffering of one kind or another to visit us because those questions that never really get asked need to be addressed. And he uses suffering to get our attention and draw us towards himself. I want to make a second observation here. And that is that Jesus engages the heart before he engages the body. I think it's really interesting that in both cases, as in one case the man approaches him, in the other case he approaches the man, it's clear what they both want and need. When you have a man who's desperate because his son is dying, it makes no sense to go, what is the thing you want? It's self-evident. When you see a man who's been lame for 38 years and has nothing to speak of in his life, it's almost offensive to ask, what do you want? And yet, as Jesus encounters these men, even though their physical need is so obvious to him and everyone else around him, he doesn't immediately jump to just touching them, wooga booga wooga, and then boom, you're healed. Alakazam! If he went around doing that, I think very little of who he was would ever really get communicated. And so what he does is he takes time and he engages them before he heals them. For the royal official son, (coughs) he says this thing that is kind of offensive. And by the way, you should know that some of the things Jesus says would get him fired from churches today. A man comes in with a dying son and says, I need help. He goes, you people. By the way, that's just a dirty phrase now. You people. What do you mean, you people? You people. 
You weak-faced, unbelieving Galileans, you're all the same. You come in and show up in crowds to see a sideshow freak like me. A magician, a celebrity, someone who speaks well. Somebody who performs magic tricks for you. That's why you're here, isn't it? And I know he already knows this man's heart, so he's not pointing a finger directly at him, but he's saying, do you know what I've walked into? I just came out of Samaria where these heathens that we won't even look at just responded. An entire village came to me, not through signs and wonders, but because they heard my word and they believed. Those unbelieving dogs had a faster response, a more earnest response to the gospel than you, my own people. And then I come to Galilee and I receive this fanfare, this welcome, but I know what your hearts are like. You don't want me or any of the truth I'm speaking. You just want me to perform more signs and wonders so we have something to talk about. Remember, this is in the days before podcasts. When people got together for dinner, they had nothing to talk about unless they saw something cool. So they're just like, please do something amazing so we could talk about it for months afterwards. And so he says to this man, this is how your people are throughout this region. You want to see signs and wonders, but without that, you'll never believe. And this man says, no, that's not me. See, I think what Jesus is really asking, he's not being rude or mean-spirited. He's saying, look, are you like everyone? Is this really just a blind Hail Mary last-ditch effort? Or do you understand that God can actually heal you? Do you have any recognition of who it is who's standing before you? I know you're desperate for your son to be healed, but do you know who you're asking for that healing? Because that makes all the difference in the world. Sheer desperation alone does not move the heart of God. It moves it somewhat, but what really moves the heart of God is our desperation commingled with recognition of who he is. Faith in him, not just just desperation because of our situation. It's universal human experience to hate suffering and want out. But it honors God when we see who he is and we say, I know who I'm asking. Whether you grant it today or 38 years from now, I know there's no one else I can ask. I know who's the only one who has power. And so I'm not just desperate, I'm dependent on you. See, I think what he's showing this man is there is a way of asking God for things without really believing God is going to do anything about it. I think some of us, that's where our prayer life is right now. Hey, I do ask. Don't accuse me of not praying. I pray. And I get that. I mean, I've been in those situations where something I yearned for didn't happen for a really long time. And at some point, something turns in our hearts. And we're going through the motions of asking God, but we're not really asking God. We're just rehearsing our need and saying, I hate this. I wish it would change. But somewhere along the way, we've stopped asking God. We just started talking about our suffering. So what Jesus is doing to this man is saying, do you recognize who you're standing in front of? I know what you need, and I've already decided in my heart that your son will live. And so he puts a man to the test, and he says, hey, and the man keeps going, you got to come with me. His house is about 10 miles away from where they were standing. He says, you got to come with me. I know it's a long walk, but I'm desperate. And Jesus says, I don't need to go with you. Just go home. Your son's going to be okay. Now, if you journey 10 miles to find the greatest healer in the land, 
and that's what he said to you, what would your response be? What a wasted trip. We probably use the word ridiculous a lot on the walk home. That was ridiculous. Ridiculous. But as he's walking home, his servants encounter him and said, you would not believe what just happened. Your son just recovered miraculously. And he goes, wait a minute. Hold on. What time did he recover? Have you, you've heard stories like this, right, from the mission field where people are surrounded by, by very violent um, attackers, and then all of a sudden, just like that, they all dropped their weapons and ran off, and it turns out that there was a prayer circle at home praying for them at that exact hour, and my hair stands up on the back of my neck. I'm like, whoa. I have heard dozens of stories like that where you could trace the deliverance in one person's life to a moment of prayer on the other side of the planet. Maybe you don't believe in string theory, but I believe in Jesus, man. And I'll tell you, some of those stories freak me out. There's no coincidence there. And at that moment, he realizes, I took Jesus at his word and I went home. But somewhere in the back of my mind was this niggling thought, was that really anything? And when that servant greeted him on the road, he realized, oh my gosh. I was just now in the presence of the divine. We move ahead to this other healing, this man at the pool. And Jesus asked this man who was lame for 38 years, Hey, buddy, do you want to get well? I don't know about you, but the first time I read that back in high school, I remember being a little offended. Like, I thought Jesus was supposed to be smart. What kind of offensive question is that to ask someone? Why do you think Jesus is asking him that question? Hey, do you want to be well? See, this man, for most of his life, had been carried by others to the pool. And for most of his life, he had been wanting to get in that pool and be healed, but it had never worked out for him. Before he could wiggle or roll or be carried in, someone else would beat him to the punch. (coughs) And as a result, what he'd experienced for 38 years was hope followed by disappointment over and over. Lather, rinse, repeat. Every day for 38 years, this had been his experience. Maybe today, uh uh-huh, maybe tomorrow. Maybe today, oh, maybe tomorrow. Do you know what that feels like? Some of you do, right? Where it's like every day you think, oh, this is going to be the day. No, it's not. And you start to lose hope. See, he was going through the motions of being at the pool every time the waters were stirred. But somewhere in his heart, his faith didn't follow his body to that place of healing. I think what he saw in this man was that he was hopeful but hopeless. Do you remember that the royal official was powerful but powerless? This man is hopeful but hopeless at the same time. What does that mean? That means he's going through the motions of doing the things that put him before God, but in his heart he does not expect that God will ever do anything for him because he has been more shaped and trained by disappointment than by divine intervention. And that is understandable, isn't it? When you ask for something all the time and it never gets answered, after 38 years, does this man not have a right to be a little jaded and cynical? So I'm right there with him. 
I know exactly where his heart must be. Well, I, not exactly, but I can imagine it. It's hard for him to hear Jesus ask this question. I think what Jesus is really asking is not, do you want to stop being like this? But in your heart, do you really still believe that you can be well? I mean, you're here every day, but you've sort of given up on hope. I'm not asking if you want to be well. I'm asking if you really, really believe it's even possible anymore. I think maybe what he's really asking is, are you ready for this to possibly be the day? I mean, think about it. If God is real and you ask him for the same thing for 38 years It stands to reason that unless God is a figment of our imagination, at some point, whether it's a decisive yes or a decisive no, God will answer you. And here's the truth. (coughs) I don't really understand the timing of God. I don't understand why he would ever make anyone wait 38 years for the joy of and convenience of walking. That confuses me. And though I want to defend God, I don't know that I can because I am not him, and I have no idea why he does what he does in those kinds of cases. What I do know is apart from God, there is no real hope in this world. Apart from God, the only available path to us is acceptance of what happens or blind luck. And I know that sometimes God waits a really long time to do his most glorious work. The question I think he would ask those of us in this room who have lived with chronic suffering, who are stuck in a situation that doesn't change, and you know what I'm talking about. I think the question he wants to ask you is, do you really still want to be well? Or have you accepted this as your new normal? Have you let hope die in you because you're afraid to be disappointed again? I want to give you one last point. By the way, the man does demonstrate something because Jesus says to him, and he didn't even put him in the pool. He just went, hey, just get up and walk then. And it's amazing to me that that's all it takes. I'm just curious. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you have witnessed or experienced a supernatural event in your life? Just raise your hand. Okay. (coughs) I have as well. But here's the thing I noticed about supernatural events. The ones who experience it are touched by it forever But it doesn't matter how credible, how honest they are, those who haven't seen it really struggle to still believe that such things happen. It doesn't matter that for thousands of years, the testimony of many people have said, I saw with my own two eyes things I cannot explain. They were things only God could have done. And yet, there's something inside of us that says, no, there's no way that things like that still happen. I think this man for a moment believed. He said, what could I lose? And he got up 
and he received healing. But I want you to notice one last thing. See, I think suffering is what brings us to Jesus, but relieving our suffering is not Jesus' highest goal. Do you understand that? Relieving our suffering is not Jesus' highest goal. He cares about what happens to us in our earthly life. He does. The struggles we go through and the suffering we endure in this life matter to him and he sees us. Don't ever get the wrong idea about that. He deeply cares about our lives. But what he cares about even more than that is where we stand with respect to him. If he takes away all of our suffering and all of our shortcomings and all of our struggles, it still gives us maybe 80 or 90 years of mammalian existence and it will come to an end. Like a zoo animal, you will eat, drink, poop, sleep, and we all shall die. That man's son, miraculously healed, dead today. This lame guy who maybe for 15 years skipped all over town, dead today. He gave them a life-defining deliverance in their physical suffering, but if that's all he did, he did them a very small kindness. To them, it was life-defining, but what Jesus came to do was far greater than that. See, this royal official on the way home is greeted by his servants, and it says when he realized and he put two and two together, the exact hour at which Jesus spoke those words is when my son got up and was better. It says he and his whole household believed. He was driven to Jesus, desperate for the healing of his dying son. He walked away with a new understanding of who God is, a new standing with God that he didn't have before. He got the healing too. But if that's all he got, it would have been a joy for about 40 more years, and then he would be put into the earth like the rest of us. What's interesting is that this man's response to what he realized was, I got so much more than healing today. God revealed himself to me. And here's the real point. Some of us are so fixated on how hard our situation is, we've forgotten the larger picture, is that this human life is not designed to give us either pleasure or pain. It is to either make us found to God or lost to God. That's the biggest story of this earthly existence. You could be wildly successful. You could have unbelievable experiences. But if you finish this life without knowing Jesus, you have nothing. There's nothing. It was barely, incrementally better than the next guy's life. But in the larger picture of eternity, it is nothing. What Jesus is concerned about is way more than what we're concerned about. Our small sufferings, and I don't mean small like it doesn't matter. I mean, in comparison to eternity, the sufferings that drive us to God are in this moment. But they will only last during this lifetime. And he takes that momentary suffering and he uses it to give us an eternal freedom. That's how God works. We sometimes get so fixated on what's happening to us on this earth, we really believe this is all there is. 
But I think everybody, and I don't know if you've ever sat next to someone while they're dying of old age. I've had that experience a number of times. And I'm amazed at what they don't talk about. How common it is to hear deep regret and terror and fear and wonder at what lies beyond. When you're young, you think this is all there is. Dial it up to 11 and party. Pedal to the metal. But at some point, it will all start to slow down and the plane will start to land. I'm at a place now where something like this, I'm like, I don't think, oh, I just have a cold. I'm like, oh, God, don't let it be something worse. I didn't think like that when I was 30, not even 40. At 50, every sickness scares me because I realize I don't have that like forever left. Right now in the flight of my life, it's the time when the, steward, the, the flight attendants are walking down the aisle asking, do you have any remaining service items? That's when I know we're about maybe two-thirds of the way through the flight. So what Jesus is interested in is the bigger picture. What's interesting with the lame man is that after Jesus heals him, he slips away into the crowd, and the man's like, I don't even know your name. And then the Jewish leaders see this guy, and this is how petty the Jewish leaders were. God said, don't work, like don't go to your job on the Sabbath. They turned it into don't do any physical labor. So he's carrying his mat around. They're like, that's a no-no. Never mind that this dude they had seen for 38 years lame, and he's walking, and their first thought is, why are you carrying your mat? That's That's the dictionary definition of idiot. You see a lame man walking and your first thought is he's breaking the Sabbath. And so they interrogate him. And this man, (coughs) whatever else he's thinking is, it's trouble to be associated with Jesus. I'm thankful in all that I'm walking, but I don't think being associated with that guy is such a good idea. So later as he's skipping around with his mad and he's in the temple and showing everybody, check this out, man. You know, he's doing all those moves. Jesus finds him and goes, hey, look at you. You're walking again. Isn't that great? Now stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now that can also sound like a really offensive, aggressive thing to say. Here's what Jesus is really saying. I'm glad you can walk again. But what you should really be thinking about is how you stand before God. Are you in the right place with God? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Are you committed to living for him? Or are you just going to be a dead man walking? This man gives his answer in the form of a betrayal. After Jesus says this to him, he scurries off to the same man who interrogated him and said, I know his name now. His name is Jesus. And in the next verse it says, and from that time on, they began to conspire against Jesus because he had violated the Sabbath. The smallness of small people never ceases to amaze. How grotesquely they can miss the point of what is happening and focus on small and unimportant things. They were so worked up about the Sabbath and they failed to see that a man lame for 38 years is walking because of a word from a man who claimed to be the son of God.
I know that for you, your suffering in this moment feels consuming. It's all you can see. But I want you to know that whether God gives you the relief you're asking for or not, his greatest desire for you is not to take away just that suffering, but to settle the question of you and him for eternity. And please don't think that's a, a ripoff, like some kind of jip. Imagine that you are on the road and your car ran out of gas and you're hitchhiking and someone stops for you and said, hey, buddy, this is your lucky day. Now, I don't have any gas on me, but I decided I'm going to pay off someone's mortgage today. And I see you waving your hands, your house, bam, paid. And then he drives off, leaves your card and says, tomorrow you call this number, your mortgage is cared for. Would you at that moment be like, uh, hello, what about the gas? Uh, gas? I mean, think about how completely wrong the perspective is there. He's taking care of the greatest thing. And we're hung up on why he doesn't give us this other thing. Some people live a lifetime suffering bodily. And they spend eternity in peace and glory. Others spend a lifetime in luxury and comfort. Spend an eternity in bodily suffering. The thing that Jesus cares about most in us is not the momentary trials of this life but are standing with God for eternity. And that's why he says at the end of that passage, my father is always at his work and I too am working. What he labors tirelessly for is the winning of our souls to God. He does care about our suffering. But even if he should call us to live our whole earthly lives in suffering, if we will come to somehow know him, we are blessed. And I know that doesn't preach well today, but it's true. And it's what the gospel is, and it's what we need to hear again and again. I'm going to invite you to bow with me. We have some songs to sing to finish up our service. But I want to just invite you just for a moment especially if you or someone you care about is in a place of suffering today. Maybe sharp, traumatic suffering like the royal official had. Maybe suffering that has slowly killed hope in you. It's just been the suffering, the death of a thousand small cuts. And at some point, you've just stopped hoping and believing that God will ever show up. He wants to use that suffering to draw you to himself. And if somehow through that suffering you see him, then that suffering was not wasted. I've seen beautiful examples in our church of people who have suffered in a way that it just gives God so much honor. So much glory. I think of some of your lives and I get so emotionally stirred because your whole life is a testimony of honoring God while you suffer unimaginably. 
And I want you to know that you have received the greatest prize there is. Wherever you find yourself, let's just take a minute and let's pray to God with our own words from our own hearts. And then the praise team will lead us in some songs. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.